All right. Thanks, Andrew. All right. So instruments in God's hands. Last week, Pastor Brian uh, started us off here on this new series, and we'll be exploring how each one of us, being members of the body of Christ, is actually playing a special role in God's bringing heaven's kingdom to earth. Okay, we each have a role to play here. And you don't have to have a PhD in theology to really do this. And that's the cool thing that he was telling us about, right? The biblical model is actually God taking ordinary folks and doing extraordinary things. And so I want to encourage you guys today. And, you know, I want to delve deeper into this first word of the series because we really have a lot of theological truths, a lot of biblical stuff that we want to take out of this. Um, it's not just a cool slogan. You've heard it a bunch, but it's love, know, speak, do, right? This is a, a common thing we say at Hope Community Church, love, know, speak, do. Uh, but we really want to take some time to delve into each word. And this week, it's about love, right? So the cool thing about God using us as instruments, I want to see if I can illustrate it for you guys a little bit here. Um, it's as if God is this master chef, right? God's a master chef, maybe at like a three-star Michelin restaurant, top tier, um, and he's got the best plan to create a meal that's so delicious it'll blow your mind, right? He is like top of the line, and his plan is going to be perfect. What would a chef need to use in order to create a beautiful, delicious meal like that? I mean, he's going to have a lot of different instruments. We're talking wooden spoons. We're talking specialty knives, maybe some pots and pans even a spice rack on the side. And these are the different instruments that God is going to use as the chef to create the meal. Well, that's what a chef does. But in real life, you and I are those different instruments, right? The people of God all over the world, in different countries, speaking different languages, they're totally diverse and yet all serving the same ultimate purpose. You don't use a kitchen knife for the same thing that you would a pot and pan right? They play a different role. But we're all working towards that same goal over centuries of God's people being on earth. And that's pretty incredible. And the kind of change that God is working in us is really a heart change. It's not just the kind of change where on the outside it looks pretty good, but on the inside you're constantly rebelling against it and in a few years it'll change back to something else, always changing with the wind, that's not the kind of change God brings around. The kind of change that the Holy Spirit is working in us is at the heart level, and it works out. And so what we want to talk about today is the first word in this transforming life series where we can be the type of people that God can use as instruments. And the first word is love. And this love, I mean, it's an incredible thing. I'm incredibly honored to even speak on love because it's such a huge biblical concept. Um, I mean, there's like over 500 verses in the Bible that use the word love. Depends on your translation, obviously, but there are just so many things in the Bible about love that it would be probably impossible for me to talk about everything you need to know. And that's not what I'm trying to do today. Um, the main takeaways I want to have are just three points, three points about love that if we understand them, apply them, they should just be great ways to open up uh, 
into our lives the way that we can be instruments for God. And the first point is just one on why is love a priority? So love no speak do. The first word is love, but why is it the first word? And does that even matter? Um, I want to talk a little bit about that, why it's a priority in this model. The second, term, the second thing I want to talk about is what is love? So we talk a lot about love, but do we really know what it is? And do we have any examples that we can show? The third point is who are we to love, right? Is love just kind of this feeling that overtakes us like, ah, oh, I'm so in love? Or is it something that we direct at someone? And if it is at someone, who? So those are the three points I want to take a look at today. Just what is the primacy of love? What is it? And then who are we to love? So the first one, you know, it's really easy to talk about love, um, but we just kind of think about it as a, you know, love's a good thing to have. But Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as being essential, absolutely essential. So let's take a look. This is verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So to Paul, right, he's saying, you can speak all you want, which is the second word. You can speak all you want, or love no speak to. Uh, it's something you can do, but if you don't have love in your heart while you're doing it, it's not worth anything. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So here we see, too, you can know all the things. You can even have faith. And it doesn't matter if you don't have love while you're doing it. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And so these three verses show us, look, even if you do good works, but you don't have love while you're doing it, you are nothing. It's not worth it. And, and he's trying to bring out this point that, Guys, love is important, so important that without it, it doesn't matter what you're doing. And I'm not trying to you know, steal the thunder away from the future uh, speakers these next couple of weeks. These other three words, know, speak, and do, are really important things. But I've got to bring out, I mean, love is primary. Love is the first thing. We need this. We can't move on in our series unless we understand and we have and we know love. So that's why it's really, really, really important that we do this. And it's not really like something we think of naturally, maybe. We might say, oh, man, that guy's really, really awesome, dude. I can always go to him when I need a little bit of wisdom and just some guidance in my life. You know, we value that. Or we might say, like, oh, man, she helped me out when we were moving. She was so great. She organized everything. But we value that. The question is, you know, if they didn't do that out of love, does God value that? And I want to take you uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. For the Lord does not look, or does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So God can see the motives behind everything we're doing and behind everything everyone's doing. And to us, it might be really valuable to have somebody that helps us along the way, gives us some advice. But to God, it's only valuable as long as they're doing it from a heart of love, right? 
So these things just go to show you, like, love is important. And I think we can kind of tie it back in with that God is the master chef analogy I used earlier. Because when we're thinking about God as a chef, and he's trying to make this delicious meal, imagine he goes to the spice rack and picks out some, like, cayenne pepper because he's thinking, okay, I'm going to make this delicious meal, but it needs just a bit of a spice to it. Got to add a little flavor. He takes the pepper, sprinkles it on, goes back, finishes the meal, cooks it up, sits down to eat it, and then takes the first spoonful, and it's bland. Right? What would happen then? God would be like, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I meant. So he goes over, he checks the cayenne pepper, tastes a little bit of it. It's bland. The cayenne pepper turns out to just be sawdust that was colored red. So he just added sawdust to the meal. It didn't do anything to make the meal any more delicious. In the same way, the people that love, know, speak, do, but forget the love part, they're just sawdust colored to look like delicious spice, right? They're not useful to God. You can, you know, make the exterior look you can't use that person to bring his kingdom to earth. And so we really got to think about this. Um, Jesus, oh my gosh, this is why Jesus can say to the Pharisee in Matthew 22 that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So, you know, we're talking about all these different verses. It's all pointing towards love as this primary thing. But I want to also take some time to talk about what love is, because we can be super pumped up and super excited and be like, all right, I'm going to love. But if you have all that drive and you don't know where you're going, it's not going to go anywhere either. So we've got to take a look at what love is. And in our culture, I mean, we have a lot of people that talk about love, right? We're big on love, you'd think. I mean, I just searched uh, love on Twitter, right? And I got an endless stream of pictures and videos, all that use the word love. I'll just read you a, a few of the things that I found. An advertisement for men's swimming trunks. Hashtag love. A photo of a cat urging people to adopt kittens. Hashtag love. An ad for a scantily clad Japanese doll. Hashtag love. A beautiful sunset behind a bridge. Hashtag love. And I could keep going on, right? It's just this endless stream of things that don't really have anything to do with each other, but they all use the word love. And I think it brings out a good point that in English, we can use this word just really casually, and it can mean a bunch of different things. We can love cake, we can love cats, we can, I don't love cats. Some people, you know, some of you guys might be cat people. I'm not a cat person, I'm a dog person. But, you know, you can love cats, but is that the same kind of love that Jesus is talking about? And so, I think maybe the problem was that I went to Twitter to try to interpret the Bible. <laughs> you guys probably should know, you shouldn't do that, right? You go to the Bible to interpret the Bible. Um, or talk to a pastor, talk to an elder, a small group leader, uh, somebody who knows the Bible a little better if you're having questions. You know, searching hashtag love on Twitter isn't the way to go. Um, and it's actually pretty great. We have an explanation in Scripture of what love is in 1 John 3.16. It's beautiful. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Right? So scriptural love is really this different thing. It's different than, than what we casually talk about on the day-to-day. In fact, further on, John even says God is love. So when Jesus is calling us to love, Jesus is calling us to the ultimate reflection of himself. Jesus is love. And Jesus exemplified love on a cosmic scale, right? We're, we're in darkness, we're in sin, we don't want God, we hate him, and Jesus just comes down and he pierces the sky like a sunbeam through the clouds. If you've ever seen that and you're just like, oh, heaven, <laughs> it's a sunbeam piercing down through the clouds and Jesus came to us and he grabbed us by the hand and he showed us the way. He could see everything, we couldn't see anything, but he showed us the way. And then he pointed at death and he said, guys, you deserve that over there but I'm gonna take it for you. He laid his life down on the cross for our sins so that we could live. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's love, right? That's love, that's biblical love. He loved us when we hated him, he took on our punishment, and he gives us what we need to ensure that we live forever, right? So this is such a beautiful thing, and Jesus, by all means, is the ultimate expression of love. But Jesus isn't the only one who just brought up this love idea. This was way back in the Bible, even in like Deuteronomy. So when Jesus says, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's basically a quote from Deuteronomy 6.5, almost word for word. So Moses, right? Even back in Moses' day, love your God. That was a thing. That was a thing. So I want you to know, like, God is the same always. And Jesus is what, who we look to, okay, when we're looking at love. But God's been love all along. And, you know, all that being said, we might not have actually gotten at a definition of what love is. But I think you guys get an idea that love is more than just a simple definition. Like, if you could say a few words and say, this is what love is, that'd be great. But it's not really the fullest expression of what love is. Love is a person. Love is this act. It's, it's an action. You're doing something. Um, so I don't want to like try to simplify it too much, um, but I did come up with a, a useful definition for love if you were, were thinking, okay, I need something to write down on my notes. To love someone is to set your heart on that person. To set your heart on that person. Meaning that At the very core of who you are, you want that other person that you're loving to do well, right? You you could drill down to the deepest point of who you are and you wouldn't find a secret little, ooh, I hope they do well because it would look good for me, right? That's just selfishness wrapped with a pretty bow. (laughs) You you could drill down and you wouldn't find like a, man, I hope they get what they want because they just annoy me all day long and then they'll finally shut up. That's just selfishness. No, love is from the very core of your heart. You want good for that other person. And so that can be your definition. To love someone is to set your heart on that person. And didn't Jesus set his heart on us, right? We talked about it today, but didn't Jesus completely disregard his own self and do what was good for us despite everything else? He gave up his happiness, his time, his money, his comfort, and even his life, 
right? Jesus is this perfect example of love in action. And so don't consider yourself when you're trying to love other people, right? Actively, even consciously tell yourself if you're having trouble, like, I'm going to put this person ahead of myself. I'm going to love this person in front of me. Take every thought captive to Christ and do not love out of selfishness. Love like Jesus loved us. So there we go. We got why love is important and what love is. But the third point is, who are we to love? And, you know, in some ways it seems pretty straightforward because we already talked about it. Love God, love your neighbor. Simple. But I want to delve a little deeper, like, who actually is your neighbor? Because neighbor is kind of a word we would just use. Uh, it's the people that live around me. It's the people that are, you know, down the street, but, well, not, not that guy. Not that guy from another town. Not that guy from a different country. He's not my neighbor. He's not my neighbor, really. And so, you know, if you had that way of viewing it, would you be like, eh, Jesus is just telling me to love the people who live in my area, but anyone else I come into contact with, <laughs> with I could just be a jerk. That's Jesus approved, right? No, it's not Jesus approved. You see, somebody else asked this question too. And, you know, Luke chapter 10 is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is a pretty popular one. You probably are familiar with it. But the context to why Jesus was giving that parable is actually really important. Because a teacher of the law was asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responded with that parable. So let's take a look. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. <laughs> That's a bad way to start, right? He's testing Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? The teacher answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is impressive, right? So he clearly knew what Jesus was teaching. He probably even knew it from before because guess what? Love your neighbor as yourself, that's not starting from Jesus either, right? That's starting actually from Leviticus, chapter 19. Leviticus. Leviticus. It's back there in Moses, too. I mean, I gained, I gained a lot of respect for Moses when I learned that both of the two greatest commandments that Jesus tells are actually from his books. That's incredible. But going on in verse 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And scripture tells us this man's motives, right? It tells us the motives. He was trying to justify himself. And so I think we can be kind of convicted about this when we read it. You know, if you're wondering, who do I have to love? Right? Who's my neighbor? I mean, really. Who do I have to love? Ask yourself this question. Are you trying to justify yourself like the teacher of the law was? Um, is this coming from a place where you're like, this is kind of a hassle. I don't want to love this person right now. Um, I know Jesus calls me to, but I mean, who's really my neighbor? What kind of heart are you coming from? And I think, you know, Scripture tells us that this man was trying to justify himself, but a lot of the times we do the same thing. Um, so, so be cautious here and look at what Jesus is saying. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, 
leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell to the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. So Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And this is an incredible, incredible parable. Because we see, you know, who is his neighbor? You would think the priest and the Levite, at least, right? They would be neighbors. But Jesus is pointing out that the Samaritan was a neighbor to this man. And Samaria was north, right? So he's not somebody that lives around this poor man that got beat up and robbed. It'd be like if you and I were going to D.C. for a work trip, and then we saw somebody get beat up, and they left him there, and they ran away. That's the kind of person where the Samaritan was like, oh, I've got to go over and help them. Right? You don't know who this is. It's a total stranger. Yet, in Jesus' words, he's the neighbor, right? And so another point is that it's not somebody from the same ethnicity. Okay? So the Samaritans and the Jews were not on great terms a lot of the times. And a lot of it was because of their different ethnicities, their different cultures, their different uh, traditions. So the question is, can we just kind of shirk people off to the side if we don't really do the same things as them, if we don't have different traditions and cultures? No, right? To be a neighbor to these people, you might be totally different. And I know that, like, myself included, I have not done this all the time. Right? I've been guilty of, of putting people off. Um, I've been guilty of being like, oh, I'm too busy right now. I just got to get to where I'm going. Right? They can figure out their own life. And it's convicting. When I think back about that, I'm like, man, that was a moment right, that I could have helped somebody, just like Jesus is calling us to. Um, and so I hope that you guys can be convicted if you did anything like that. Um, can be convicted about that, right? You should have helped. This is somebody Jesus wanted us to help. Um, but at the same time, don't be overwhelmed with guilt, right? Because we're looking at what Jesus did and we're thinking about the future. And we're saying, okay, go and do likewise, right? He's always looking at, great, you understand who the neighbor was, now go and do that, okay? So you are still here. You can still go out and live like Jesus is calling us to do. So it should be both convicting but also encouraging, because Jesus is giving us this opportunity to go now, you know? And just to put it in short terms, Jesus is telling us to love every single person that we come into contact with. It's not like just the people that live around us. Um, it's not just the people that we like. <laughs> because it's easy to love the people we like a lot of times. But he's saying, love everyone that's before your eyes. They're your neighbor, right? The people who are near you, maybe the people in this church right now, or if you're watching online, the people at home with you, love those people, okay? They're the ones who are around you right now. Love the person you're texting. Love the person that you run into on the street. Love every single person in front of you at every second of every day. That's what he's calling us towards. And this is an enormous task, but 
I don't want you to feel too overwhelmed either because Jesus doesn't leave us alone in this. Jesus gives us what we need to love, right? The Holy Spirit is a gift for us so that we can actually achieve the things he's calling us towards. And I want you to know, like, first, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God, really, is going to help us to love people the way he's calling us to, and to love all people that we run into. So let's take a look how these two are related when it's, you know, who are we to love? Is it just my neighbor? Is it just God? No. It's love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So we've got to take a look at how these two are related. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's incredible. I mean, John's telling us, guys, it's not one or the other, and it can never be. It can never be. You must love God and love your brothers and sisters, okay? And if you don't love one of the two, then you don't love the other one either. Love's not in you, okay? (laughs) Think about my definition of love. To love someone is to set your heart on that person, okay? Well, how do we set our heart upon God and set our heart upon people? It's actually one and the same in a sense, right? What you're saying is, I am going to love you in a way that's going to honor and glorify God because I love him more than anything else. You can't have this godly love for other people unless you love God, okay? Can't have a godly love for other people unless you love God. And this is why Jesus tells uh, Simon Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He says it three times. He's trying to draw that connection in. He's saying, you love me? Great. Love my people. You love me? Great. Love my people. You see, to love God and to love people It's kind of like reading a book and flipping through every page of the book. You wouldn't read the book unless you flipped through every page. But you wouldn't be flipping through every page unless you were reading the book. It's the same way with loving God and loving people. You can't love God unless you love people. But you wouldn't be loving people unless you were loving God as well. So that's where I'm just going to end it today. Did we talk about everything we need to know about love? Of course not, right? There's so much more to love, but these three points we did talk about. One, why is love a priority, okay? Love must be the drive behind everything we do, or else we can't do anything that's pleasing to God. Two, what is love? God is love, right? And Jesus exemplifies the love of God in his death for us on the cross. So to love others is to set our heart on others, just like Jesus did for us. And the third point, who are we to love? We are to love God and to love everyone that we come into contact with. And this high calling is only something we can do with the Holy Spirit in us. But we have it. So I hope you're encouraged. I hope you learned something today. Uh, Let me just close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us first. 
and for sending your son to die in our place and live perfectly so that we can inherit eternal life. We want to be reminded of this good news every single day. And we pray that you would fix our gaze on you. Send your spirit on us in a powerful way so that we are overcome with wonder and amazement at your glory. Give us faith to believe all that you have done for us. Bless us to be a blessing to our communities. Work on our hearts so that we become more and more like Jesus, loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.